1: You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson, And me, Ian Morris. And if you're one of our patrons, this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. If you're not yet a patron but would like to get our ad-free extended versions, listen and interact with us live, much more, head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. And I should say thank you to everyone who's been writing in in response to... The message we put out in the feed and on the Patreon blog about um some of the new tiers that we're introducing, new perks. If you haven't listened to that yet, do give it a chance. Uh to uh, to woo you into consideration but um we're probably going to introduce those over the next week or so um but uh, feedback always welcome of course to that hello at techpodcast.uk. we've got a few new patrons recently steven william brian creevy jamie ross i don't know why only one of them has a surname but uh, you are all uh, very much appreciated thank you for joining us or upgrading your uh, your patronage you are stars in our eyes Ian. Yes, very much so. Well, later on, we're going to be joined by a familiar voice. So, put on your excitement pants. That's coming. (laughs) But first, let's talk about ISPs. Yay! Don't put those excitement pants on just yet. The Band (laughs) of Broad or broadband to use common parlance, um, is the topic of this new story. Ars Technica wrote that internet service providers in the UK will now automatically refund customers for outages in landline, phone, and broadband service, and also for missed appointments or delays in starting new service. Ars wrote that when a customer's landline or... Uh, internet service goes out and is not fully fixed, Ian, repaired to its former glory within two business days, that ISP will automatically issue £8 refunds per day, according to our good old regulator, Ofcom. Mm. It said, that being Ofcom, you will receive an initial £8 if the service is not fixed two full working days after you report it, and then... £8 for each full day. It is still not fixed after that. Refunds will be £25 for each missed appointment, specifically when an engineer doesn't show up for a scheduled appointment. Bit of a word echo there. Apologies. Or when the... appointment is cancelled with less than 24 hours notice there will also be a five pound a day compensation when a provider fails to start up new service on the promised installation date so if you have a really terrible isp you can be in some you, know, you can get you some, can make a
2: living out of this
1: you can make a living or at least your money back
2: yeah well i mean but give it bearing that given that some people are probably paying 20 pounds a month for their broadband you know if they've got a you know three-day outage they could be looking at you know three months um
1: that's true i mean if you had 10 days out i mean it's very rare i think
2: i I think it's almost unheard of but i mean there will always be people who will have that like there will be situations where something happens um i'm thinking trees bringing lines down that kind of stuff Mm. uh, where it's just not easy to fix um, and will take some time and And
1: it makes you wonder if there'd be an exemption for natural disasters I don't think there is, I mean, is, a, is, a tree it? falling down is not a disaster. I don't want to conflate that with, yeah. with actual disaster. You know what I mean? If, and, 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 well, say, for example, you get... Say if, say if a phone exchange
2: catches fire or something. I mean, obviously, it's quite unlikely. Has that ever happened? I don't know, but, it, you know, it's it's theoretically possible. You're, you're looking at, you know, maybe, what, 2,000, 3,000 people? Who would More. all lose? You wouldn't be able to restore it in time, um, and therefore you'd be paying out huge money. But I mean, like I said, I, I do not think that is very likely to happen, um, but it's a possibility.
1: Are you a telephone exchange? Have you <laughs> burst into flames? Are you on fire? Are you on fire? Let us or the fire department know. Um, but seriously, I think this is a good move because it if nothing else, it incentivizes customer service and speedy resolution. Well, well... Can I tell you why I think that they might not be? Are you, have you got a negative point? I do, but it's not negative.
2: So, um... I have a feeling that this is going to actually make it more difficult to get an engineer appointment. Uh-huh. So if you think about it, say say if an engineer is tasked with doing 10 appointments a day, mm. if there's a penalty for missing some, because you don't know as an engineer how long it's going to take you to fix a problem. So you, you might get to a house and you might find that the job that you thought would take 10 minutes takes two hours. You're then going to have to, you're going to bump all of those appointments. I don't know some of them, um, I don't know how much... How much do you have to have it moved by to, for it to count as a missed appointment? So, what, for example, what is what is a company like BT saying that they will... What time frame will they say? Is it a day? Is it a, well, a half day well, or something the, like
1: that? The wording is that if an appointment is cancelled with less than 24 hours yeah. notice, so I assume that a, missing a three-hour window would not be acceptable. Mm. For example, if they say they're going to be here at 2... And actually, they show up at five, but you nipped out to the shop yeah. at five. They wouldn't count that as a missed appointment. No. They would say it was unfortunate timing, yes. but we're not giving you £25.
2: No. and But so here's the thing. So I can only imagine that what will happen is they will be much more cautious with the amount of engineer visits they will commit to so that's going to mean that your broadband is going to take you know longer to get installed um or if you want to upgrade it's going to it's they're just going to say well we cut we haven't got an appointment for you for three weeks um they're just going to be much more cautious they're going to have they're going to have to scale back the number of appointments they can commit to a day um and i think that could have a a negative impact on it
1: but i wonder as well and i and i do agree i do think there's a lot of validity to the point but i also think that I would imagine probably like 80 to 90% of all engineer callouts are probably for the same, you know, very large percentage of problems, yeah. you know, where switching it off and on again or getting a, an engineer on a remote line to reset something is yeah. probably a, a, a fix. And that yeah. very rarely does it need to be more than that. And so there's probably more time allotted to each of those visits to accommodate for that. Yeah. Therefore, you can make up some of that back. By still putting in this number of appointments.
2: Now, I've just had a thought as you were talking. Good. So, engineer comes to your house, mm-hmm. um, and so I mean, th- obviously, there, there will be times when an engineer will come, and it will be maybe if your speed's not at what you'd expect, uh, or if you're ha- if you're changing a product, say you're going from ADSL to fibre, um, it might be that an engineer would come, and I don't think it's likely in most cases because it's mostly done from the exchange, isn't it?
1: But th- I mean, I do remember when I had my Virgin installed in. Uh, in my, in my house when yeah. I bought it. They insisted on sending an engineer around, even though I was pretty damn confident I could open the box and plug in a cable. That's changed a lot. Like, when I okay. moved into my flat um,
2: now, I... Um, Self-install. Yes. I'm suddenly bored of this tangent. Well, Carry then, on with sure. your
1: previous point.
2: Uh, yes. I mean, so the other thing, w- w- what I was going to say was, um, my concern is that an engineer would get to your house, spend half an hour working on the problem not be able to fix it and then go i've got to go because i've got another appointment therefore he hasn't missed the appointment with you but he's turned up and you've not got a satisfactory resolution so again that could have an impact on customer satisfaction
1: that's interesting isn't it the idea of um showing up at someone's door so it registers on the gps and then leaving it's like when um uh call center people call you and they're just making sure you pick up an the phone, and then it, the line goes dead because they just need to register that yeah. they called someone and the number was real and they answered.
2: And obviously, there is a there is another issue here in that, particularly with um, services going down. If you think about it, there are only really two, maybe three providers of broadband services in the UK. Right? I mean, well, I mean there are more, but like of, of the majority of people are on. A, a virgin product, a an open reach product, or they're um of, say Kingston upon Hull or whatever that one. Well, it's I forget what it's called. City Fiber. Yeah, or, or those all those companies. Yeah. So there, I mean there are more now, um. But what? But the majority of people are not on those services. they're, they're on the big three, right? So what this is going to mean is that basically every problem that an ISP has is more likely to be an open reach issue. So, I mean, obviously, there will be occasions where ISPs have their own infrastructure fail, but mostly because they're in control of that, they can fix it very quickly. But if I'm running an ISP and um, there's a problem that only OpenReach can fix, because let's be honest, they're, most of them are renting the lines you know, that way, um, then it's going to be OpenReach's problem. Now, I don't know how this works. Is well, are ta- ISPs going to go then to OpenReach for compensation? Shall or- I tell you the
1: answer? Yes.
2: Doesn't matter if it doesn't get fixed you get some money Well, no that's true and it doesn't matter but i mean obviously it's going to have it's going and then this is going to have another impact isn't it because it is going to put prices up
1: no no i think that's are you sure yes i don't think you can pass on uh compensatory compensation related no but it it will have an impact on what companies want to increase their charges by because competition all sorted out we've got two, we've got in unlike in the US i would say we've yeah. got so we've got so much competition particularly in the cities here yeah, for broadband that you could never get away with that
2: well perhaps but there are some services that aren't that don't have any competition there is no competition for your 350 meg virgin is there bt doesn't offer that product um
1: bt does but in very limited areas yeah and, and it's i fi-
2: it's, i assume it's fibre to the home not fibre to the cabinet there um, isn't there is supposed to be a 300 meg
1: ee definitely offers a three like an over 300 megabit product yeah and it uses bt but it's in very limited areas very limited areas but i think we're going a little bit too far down this rabbit hole so um let's wrap it up like um well like a present we don't want anymore um and let us know any thoughts on this you have hello at techpodcast.uk. that is of course assuming your internet works Well, last year, companies in the UK were mandated by the government to publish how much they pay male and female employees, so the gap between the two became public knowledge. The deadline was 12 months ago today, at the time of recording, and I've been digging through the data on tech companies to see how much has changed. Now, I looked at the mean averages when reporting this story for Bloomberg, and I'll include a link to the show notes and in the MP3 description for the episode, so do look out for that. And I saw that Facebook now pays women 1.8% less than men, which is a decline, from the 0.9% gap a year ago. Google has slipped slightly as well and now pays women 19% less than men, on average compared to 17% less a year ago. And women now occupy 21% of the highest paid jobs there compared to 22% last year. Uh, Amazon has a few subsidiaries in the UK, but I picked the main one, and that one um, fared a lot better, actually. It uh, pays women 0.5% less than men compared to 2.1% a year ago. And women and men occupy about the same number of the highest paid jobs as they did last year. Now, Google's actually a particularly interesting one because this week, The Telegraph wrote in a completely separate story that the company paid an average of £226,000 to its UK staff in 2018 but that's a topic for a completely different podcast. To help us put the pay gap in, uh, in UK tech companies in context um, we've got a voice many listeners will recognise as a something of a regular source of wisdom on the show now particularly when it comes to diversity in the British tech scene it's uh, of the Show Me The Way podcast Naomi Kerbel.
0: Hello. Thanks for having me back.
1: Well, thank you for coming back uh, yet again. You're a big, you've been a big hit with our listeners. We keep getting emails about you, so uh, we're giving them what they want. Whether we're giving you what you want is another. I'm loving it. Is <laughs> another question. Um, but so, but Naomi, you've you've seen these figures that I that I've been digging up on these t- uh, the UK tech companies. What what stood out for you the most?
0: Okay. Well, I'm trying not to scream. I don't have a pillow at work to scream into, <laughs> so I've had to just uh, I've just had to resort to biting my fist. Um, what stood out to me? Uber, nearly 9% less. WeWork, 23% less. And then Badoo, which is... Am I saying that? Badoo, Badoo? I,
1: I say Badoo, Badoo yeah. Badoo,
0: which, which is Bumble. Mm. Bumble, well, oper- dating oper- app,
1: operates Bumble,
0: operate, yeah. 33% less. I mean, this is total madness. Yeah. And the fact that, as you say, we are overall seemingly getting worse is just so depressing. I was looking at... Um, some reaction from the Fawcett Society, which looks into equality in the workplace. And what they're saying is, and I totally agree with them, the regulations are just not tough enough. The government needs employers to publish action plans, which actually... Mandate that they have to make meaningful changes and there have to be meaningful sanctions as a result of that because this is meant to be a catalyst for change, but it's not.
1: Mm. Well, if if it is a catalyst for change, it's not making the change that the catalyst exists for. I mean, the whole idea is kind of naming and shaming to a certain extent, Mm. isn't it? It's that if you're forced to publish something and you don't want to look bad, then you make the figures better by changing the, the the issue that caused them in the first place, right? And
0: listen, I hate to bring Brexit into this because we should actually just ban the word for a little while. <laughs> We've had a week off, I feel. But Actually, I think that Brexit is part of the reason for bumping this off companies' agendas. They're so focused on this, on their strategic vision around how they're going to handle Brexit that pay equality, uh, di- let's call it, uh, across diverse um, sections of their companies, is just not on the agenda as it should be. I think it's there. I just think it's bumped right down.
1: I do wonder whether more should be done with, with the publication of these figures. I mean, part of it is in the hands of, of journalists to to, you know, make reminders a year ahead of publication to remind themselves to go and check these figures and do a compare and contrast. I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet. I'm not the only one who's done this this week. Um, but I'll tell you what was interesting about this whole reporting process is that companies really don't like it when you publish figures that they've had to publish on <laughs> the website. And, you know, one of the companies that I approached um, uh, for for this emailed me afterwards and asked if we would use the median Average, rather than the mean average, yeah. um, on the website, and I said, "Well, we use the mean. We use the mean last year, and so I need to use the mean this year." And their fundamental problem was that it made them look bad. <laughs> and my, you know, my 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 heart wanted to say, "Well, I'll tell you a way of making yourselves not look bad next year." pay people a fairly just yeah. do something make, about make a difference it. to clarify the median is where
2: you calculate the average based on all of how, how so
1: the, me, the median is like the middle figure yes. from low to hi, from low to high right and the mean is where you add everything up and yes divide, and divide it by the number exactly of, yeah. yeah and yeah. some people say that the mean the, the median is a fairer way of measuring averages because it's uh, it, it sort of accounts for outliers which mm. is true mm. but the bottom line is that the companies have to publish both of these figures we we used the mean last year so we use the mean again this year the fact is for the companies that uh that we were showing both uh last year and this year's figures for because some of the companies didn't have to uh file this because they weren't big enough last year but they are now they didn't have one to compare it to so perhaps yes they could have had change but the other part of me wants to say well you know next year when you do make a big change and we still use the mean, mm. then you will look like you've made a huge improvement compared to yeah. everyone else who's only yeah, made a, mar- a marginal improvement.
2: I mean, I've I've always sort of thought about pay and I mean, obviously selfishly from a male perspective I'm you know concerned about whether I'm earning as much as other people doing the same job, but and, and if I was a woman, I would feel exactly the same way about it but I don't think that in this country people are very good at talking about what they earn and I feel like, you know, we should be a bit more open about it and then perhaps there'll be far less of this because if I was working with someone who was doing the same job as me and they happened to be a woman and I happened to be a man and I was paid more for some reason. Um, I would be as angry as them, I think. I just don't think it's justifiable.
0: Amen, brother. Yes. Absolutely. This is something that I come back to time and time again. It happens within my own friendship group. People will not talk about how much they are Mm. earning. It drives me absolutely crazy. And if we had a transparent pay framework... Then there would be no issue yeah. because you just go, "Hey, Ian, you're doing really well. I want to do as well as Ian. Yeah. Hey, boss, let me do as well as Ian." Yeah,
1: I'll tell you something. I had I once had a very awkward conversation. This goes back many years with a boss when I was inheriting. I inherited the inbox of my predecessor in a particular oh. position, and um, I, you know, this was a decade <laughs> before GDPR. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and by pure chance. By doing a search for something to find out, you know, what a freelancer had been commissioned yeah. or something like that. I found an email from uh my predecessor to a new to, to his boss who was my boss, um, about the salary he was on. And it was notably higher than mine. Mm. And um, this was, uh, you know, me, a man, taking over from another man, complaining to another man. Um, there were no women involved in this at all, but I was very, very cross.
0: Control F, thoughts, question mark? Uh, yes. Yeah, a, a,
1: a little bit. Like that. And I was, I, I mean... I don't need to go into what happened as a result, but the feedback from my manager was that it's not a very good way of arguing for pay rise by saying, look at what this, you know, telling your boss, I found out what my predecessor was on, why am I not on the same? But the further down the line we go with this, with the uh, the gender diversity yeah. pay gap issue, the more I think, yeah, actually, I think that's okay. I think you should.
2: Yeah, yeah and I, I just don't, I don't really understand why companies are doing this. Like, I, I just don't... Doing what? Well, why is there Tying a, it. why is there a disparity? I don't... Well... Oh. May. I mean you know. I mean, I mean, well, I'm hiding it for one thing.
1: We I could, mean, but we could we could we could go on and talk about decades of inequality yeah. and managers giving other people more money because they're managers.
0: Why they're doing it is because it makes business sense, right? If you well, can get some save money, yeah. Don't they, if but... you can get some something for cheaper, if you can get a product for cheaper, then you are going to buy that product, mm. um, even if the other product is potentially going to do the job in a different way or better or however you see it but if if it is a case of viewing workers as numbers rather than as individuals then you know it makes business sense not to a reveal what each Mm. other uh, what each person is being earned and b not actually um not actually keep everyone equal it just i suppose it makes business sense
2: yeah, and I mean, but it's just—it's just so it's so depressing, isn't it? Like, I mean, obviously people may may well be happy on what they're earning, mm. but also there is a kind of thing that, like, you know, there is always a penny pinching thing that I don't, you know, and I've I've just gone off on this about about this on Twitter about earnings for journalists in general you had a rant on Twitter I did have a rant on Twitter it's surprising isn't it um, <laughs> and, and and you know and it's getting it's getting worse and I don't know if I'm earning the same as you know other people but I'm, I suspect it's it's pretty equal because there's just not a lot of money around but um, a lot of people were like actually yeah we are aware of this problem and we are some of us are trying to fight it um, so I think that people will address problems like this if they're empowered to do so and I, I guess a lot of men are probably just clueless and they don't think about it because it doesn't affect them. Um, but like I said, I would, you know, you'd be mortified, wouldn't you, if you were, if you thought that a colleague was just for some reason because of their gender earning less?
1: I wasn't so much. Oh well, with gender, yeah. Yeah. You I know, mean, the time with this incident of mine was was not so much mortified as just annoyed. Yes. Because it wasn't a very well paid job in the first place. Um, no. One question before I let you go. Um, one of the things that interests me, I was trying to think about, you know, causes for this, and you know, why isn't it as simple as just paying everyone the same for the same job which is very you know idealistic utopian ideal that isn't overnight achievable but should be a goal perhaps Mm. um but i did think you know from a position of someone who has been in charge of hiring people before now if you are trying to hire a person from another company and that person is already on a a a higher salary than perhaps what you know you can hire somebody else for and you but you really want that person and that person is also at a company where they are very valued and therefore maybe there's some leverage to pay them more Mm. to stay is it not kind of almost impossible to not artificially even with the best of intentions artificially overpay somebody simply because it's the only way to even get them to move industry particularly if they're coming from a a high paying industry
0: i think it's really hard and i think that in that scenario you create real stagnation in the work you create real stagnation um in the workforce so uh yeah i think Mm. it is i think that is really tricky um it that creates a huge uh problem with competition um I wonder if you can offer other incentives so I know at some companies I've worked for in the past there are um, long-term incentive programs to keep Mm. employee employees interested engaged with the workplace and you know they will only vest after a couple of years so that might be a way that people consider
1: Mm. enticing well if you employees If anybody listening has any thoughts or, or, you know, even better experience with um, perhaps solving this issue or or not solving it, we'd all be in a very different place if you had, but um, have played a part in helping everyone else solve it, then do let us know hello at techpodcast.uk. Do check out Naomi's show, Show Me The Way as well, wherever you got this podcast from. And Naomi, thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me once again.
1: When MySpace announced that it had accidentally lost 12 years of content last month, former users were devastated to learn that many of their audio files, which they assumed would continue to exist on the site, like a digital archive, had been lost forever. But the Internet Archive comes bearing good news, Ian. Having yes. managed to salvage a collection of MP3s, it's calling the MySpace Dragon Horde. Nice. Nice. Very grand. This is, of course, uh, per a write-up on Engadget. It was a very very good write-up, which continued to say that um, the collection contains 490,000 tracks allegedly gathered by an anonymous academic group that grabbed around 1.3 terabytes of music from the site to study between 2008 and 2010. This represents, Ian, a very small percentage of the total tracks lost, which, again, according to Engadget, is estimated to be around 53 million. But many users are nonetheless delighted with this haul. Yes. I am one of the people that is both delighted and also uh, undelighted because it's not actually the MP3s that I think needed salvaging from MySpace. It's MySpace that needs salvaging. Well,
2: presumably there is an archive of
1: MySpace. And it's on the Internet Archive. Yes. And I found one of my old MySpace pages. you? Which is miraculous. It's brilliant, I have to say. Yes. Um that's the stuff that i think people really want unless they are users having created those mp3s i mean you you, you said earlier that you know people
2: would have assumed that they uh, that, that the archive would continue forever and, and it would never be i mean that is such a foolish thing to think uh, you know uh, for any service online i mean you only have to look at if it if it's if it doesn't get lost in a database corruption like this system obviously failed with, um, then it's uh, it'll be something like Flickr, where they just change the rules so that you can only have a um, thousand photos for free. At least they give you a heads up. They do give you a heads up, but a lot of people will just not have known. I mean, I, I don't think... I've got a Flickr, and I, I wasn't particularly affected, but I didn't get an email about it. I suppose that's because I wasn't affected. Um, I've really run myself round in a circle there, haven't I? Um, but a lot of people have missed it anyway. And, and will, I mean, But then, would you assume that your photos are safe on Flickr? I, I personally wouldn't ever assume that, I think. It's just one of those things. You have to have backups of everything, even the stuff that you put in the cloud, uh, because nothing lasts forever. Google shuts services at a rate of unbelievable pace. Goodbye, but,
1: Google+. Plus. But you have... You've out- inbox, you've outlined almost entirely free, ad-supported services. Well, yes, and the paid ones, historically, I think, have been better at. Well, yes, because it, because they're making money out of it. But people like free. Yeah, but if if but it, but that, that maybe you need maybe more emphasis needs to be put on the risk being taken when you use that free service. Yeah. But there is a part of me that thinks, well, if you're using a free service, yes, good effort should be made to prepare you for mass deletion mm. but at the end of the day you're not paying anything no and so you have
2: and you have a, probably no rights as a result but it's but but this is good but the was there th- ever a paid version of myspace or was it all ad support there was
1: never a paid version i don't believe i think i think there was definitely something that art like musicians and publishers I think could could use where they had different tools but I don't think they were paid for as such but I'm not 100% maybe somebody listening will be able to um, to to fill us in on on that but I do love what the internet archive does you know it's an incredible resource I use it a lot and we'll talk about it. We're actually going to talk a little bit about it in the um, in the Patreon version uh, later. A little bit because we're going to talk about um, journalism and Facebook and uh, and a bunch of other stuff and how we check sources and facts. And, and I rely on the Internet Archive for for you know impartially and reliably in the most uh, for the most part archiving previous versions of stories yeah. and company websites and and things like that. And the fact that it also. Um, archives, audio and, and other things is just a, a huge bonus. Even if it is a bit slow, it's slow for a reason. It is very slow.
2: But, yeah. I mean, you can live with that because
1: it is such a valuable resource.
2: Yeah. And if we want it to be quicker, then we can all drop them a donation because, you know, they do good work and they're not profit-making, are they? And, you know, and there is no archive of the internet other than the internet archive. Yeah. And that, that, is, an, that is an issue because so much of what has been published online will not exist in five or ten years that's not the same with books there will always be a copy of a book
1: i do think and this is going off tangent a little bit but if the internet archive was ever in trouble of dying yeah i sort of think google would just buy it
2: maybe and that might not be a bad thing or it might not be a good thing i would say that the internet archive should receive funding from um the same places that you know, the Library of Congress and the British
1: Library. But libraries work with them, you know. You can actually loan books from libraries via the Internet Archive. Oh, really? And I only discovered this. It sounds totally, you know, pre-planned, but this isn't pre-planned. <laughs> only this week I was looking for a book by... It's an author called James Gunn. He wrote a book called The Listeners. Right. It's like a collection of stories about first contact and things. Oh, OK. And... um and I ultimately I found a, a paperback copy on Amazon and bought it, and hopefully it'll be delivered by the time I get home today. Yeah. But the one place I found it in ebook format was on the Internet Archive because the I think it was like the Boston Library in the US had scanned it, and you could join a waitlist to rent the PDF. And they just wouldn't give the presumably they don't give the physical book out, and they don't let anyone who's already got the PDF copy. Um, they don't loan it out to anyone who's already technically got access to it. So it's That's like weird. Good but
2: they've, but there's a limited number of loans. Is that because you get? So basically, the way that libraries work is that uh, every loan is tracked, right? And then yeah. um, authors receive a payment from yes. the centralized whatever lending. Yeah, yeah. And so you, you presumably, get, you, that's the same with the PDF. They have to restrict the ability of people to borrow it because otherwise, it would just be out of control. People I, just take it without ever bothering, bothering to actually read it, and it would cost.
1: I believe that's the case, and there are also payments you can get from. Um, like academic institutions that photocopy pages and things like that. And I only know that because um, Kate, who has a a book Mm. published, it's called The Fox of Richmond Park. It's an excellent read. I'm extremely biased, but I still think it's brilliant. Um, She gets payments from people who, you know, have scanned it and periodically she gets a bit of money. Yeah. That way. So,
2: And if it's, you know... um Serialized in a magazine abroad or something like that, then you know. Even you know, there's all sorts of ways. There is a there's a whole company uh, a company that manages journalists. If you if you write for a print publication, it's possible that that gets syndicated all around the world, and you wouldn't necessarily know it, but you may be entitled to
1: money. And I will tell you what, that is definitely true because when I worked at Condé Nast on Wired, we had a lot of freelancers writing features, yeah, and for online and for the magazine, yeah. and. You know, the contracts were, I mean, different contracts for different people, I suppose, but um, there was definitely, you can definitely run into issues if someone wants to publish something elsewhere when it wasn't published, just published in the original mm. material. I'm, I'm trying to hedge my words here because well, I don't I mean, want to get anyone into trouble.
2: It's Well, it's, it's a funny situ- situation that I think perhaps people don't realise, but... Um Usually these days, I think you would, if you wrote something for someone, it would be an ex- it would be an exclusive right, so you wouldn't be able to republish it elsewhere. But traditionally, authors have kept the, retained the copyright for anything they've had published on any site or in any magazine, so you could theoretically republish it again elsewhere.
1: You're used to hearing the smooth, velvet sound of Nate's voice drizzled over your ears like a warm eardrum syrup topped off with the freshly squeezed citrus tang of an Ian Morris opinion. Supporters of the show at patreon.com forward slash UK tech enjoy second helpings every week. So pull up a chair, find your nearest spoon, and tuck into a sumptuous extra helping with no commitment. If you have any allergies, please inform a waiter. Let's move into the feedback. Uh, we've dragged Naomi uh, back here to talk to us because we have an email from Charlotte Stegall, who, a uh, regular listener and patron, actually, who really liked the to- conversation we had the other week about um, getting young women and girls into science and technology subjects in school. And um, she sent in three comments about this. We don't have time to go through all three, but I-, I just picked one out that, for me, really felt like you would have an opinion on it, which is that she says, when companies do put effort into STEM stuff with the motivation of getting or girls interested. They do girl-only activities. You know, she she said that she is absolutely against this. Half of the battle is women not feeling comfortable in STEM companies and having worked in a in a fam- very famous gaming company, I have firsthand experience of men not being completely comfortable with a woman working alongside them. The sexist and inappropriate comments were really hard to deal with. It sometimes we need to include boys because they need to be excited about STEM, but also because they need to see from an early age that girls also have a place in these roles. And she says, love the episode as always and I love Naomi. So.
0: Oh, Charlotte, I love you too. <laughs> I thought that all of our comments were really um, spot on. I think we need, we've we talked about this a lot, Nate, um, creating male allies. Hmm. And you've got to do that from the beginning. I totally agree with you, Charlotte. I think... There is a place for women's uh, women-based events, women's networking, women-focused events. I don't think that place is necessarily when the, the these kids are young. I think it's better to have a safe place space when you're older you probably have more to moan about (laughs) Uh, you can probably discuss things like you know gender pay gaps and things like that in those spaces but no I agree with you wholeheartedly that it's better to get the boys and the girls together working alongside each other because you're going to develop different things together you're going to come up with new ideas that each one of you hadn't thought about it's it's much better that way, in my opinion.
1: Well, thank you, Charlotte, for the uh, for the message. Thanks, Naomi, for sticking around. I know you're late. You have things to do. So we're going to let you get out of here. I will show you the way.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: There's the door. <laughs> I hope you'll come back through it. <coughs> Thanks once again to Charlotte for emailing in. Of course, you can send your messages to hello at techpodcast.uk. Let's check in with our friend from... Well, America, Tom Merritt, what's been going on in the wider world of tech news this week? Thanks. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we talked about Facebook's
2: PR burst, including why Mark Zuckerberg is calling for more regulation of Facebook. We discussed whether it's fair not to trust Google to keep its projects around after it has killed so many. Talked about machine learning to optimize growing conditions for food. Why being old does not
1: mean you can't handle the Internet. And Laura Shin explained why DeFi, or decentralized finance, is the hot new trend in blockchain and cryptocurrency circles. All that and much more at dailytechnewsshow.com. I had to contain a laugh just then, ladies and gentlemen, because Ian said this has been a weird show this week. And for those of you listening, even on our Patreon version, but certainly also on the free version, you won't have heard some of the rather bizarre <laughs> tangents. <laughs> tangents
2: that we've flown off down and weird things we've said.
1: But I've enjoyed them.
2: When you've invoked the devil's advocate twice.
1: yes. See how much of that yeah. ends up going through to the edit. Um, but thank you to our patrons supporting us, who actually, I suppose, the ones getting the who do we'll get, get the, the uncut. uncut version of the show, which at the moment is running at one hour, ten minutes. Oh, good grief. What have we done? <laughs> <laughs> we'll experience some of those mad uh, tangents. But uh, if you listen to those and you think other listeners may value that type of content, then do obviously let us know at uh, the usual places, and maybe we can make that uh, part of the regular show. Um, but... Thank you to those of us, uh, those of you supporting us every week. If you're not yet a patron, but would like to get our ad-free versions and extended versions and all the stuff that we talk about quite a lot recently because we're changing up the tiers, uh, head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Help us finish the month with one more patron than we had last month. And also, well, you can hear the one hour, 10 minute version of this show that contained what's a polite way of putting it? Nonsense. No, I wouldn't say that. (laughs) Considered. Nonsense. Alternative words. Considered alternative nonsense. You can take over now. Oh, thanks very
2: much. Uh, yes, those um, those places that Nate mentioned, which are um, the usual places, <laughs> include our email address, which is hello at techpodcast.uk. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. It's at text to keep up to date with the most important UK technology headlines throughout the week. And thanks to everyone listening to us on our free ad-supported feed. If you have a minute to leave us a review on iTunes, it's the best way of supporting us without spending a penny.
1: It really is. If you have a choice of, you know, being a one, you know, one of our $1 patrons or going and leaving a new review, view on iTunes. I'm, we're, I'm, we're happy with both. I'm literally no preference to that because one of them massively helps us uh, spread our it reach, does. and and one of is one of them helps us upgrade well, microphones. For, for every
2: yeah, well, for every review that we get that's good, it increases the chances of someone saying I'd like to contribute to patreon and obviously we understand that not everyone wants to or can do that yeah um so by spreading the love you're helping us pick up a few extra people and we and we like reading the comments don't we really we so, do Are we, I
1: mean, unless they're unfair in which I, case we get cross i just like dancing in a pool full of happy listeners from me nate langson <laughs> and me ian morris i'm going for a lie down